1: Well, what is going on, everybody? Welcome into the Hump Day Hotline, brought to you by the Market Dominator on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast and Podcast Network. My name is Joe Miller. I'm the host of the Hump Day Hotline, and not with Jay Spence the King this evening, but with somebody who is very special to and near and dear to my heart—the one, the only Bruce, exclusive filling in for Jay, who's on assignment. Bruce, how are you feeling? It's a party all the time, Joe. I mean, just disco party. balls,
2: dancers, the whole thing. I mean. Could there be any other answer aside from that? I want to see your man
1: cave because you say it's a party disco balls all the time. So I want to see a picture. I don't need a picture of you. I don't need an elbow reveal. I don't need anything like that. I just want to see your viewscape. Like, what do you like? Is there a disco ball in there? Like,
2: is that what I've got three
1: words for you? (laughs)
2: Nice try FBI. (laughs) Is FBI a word? I don't think so. I think a singular (laughs) acronym counts as one word, doesn't it?
1: It it may, but ladies and gentlemen, it is hump day uh hump day hump that like jump on the like button do us a favor if you have not yet subscribed to the buffalo rumblings youtube channel please do so uh also we are super chat live so if you have a question for myself or a comment for myself or for mr bruce exclusive you can uh you can do that as well you can super chat us got a whole bunch of people up in the room including my mom mom meet bruce bruce meet my mom that's my mom hi mom (laughs) Right now, you're like, wait a minute! Your mom shows up to these things. Yes, yeah, she does. Uh, Brian, my Bowers wife in is in room. the
2: comments section all the time. She doesn't, just, doesn't say anything.
1: What's her name? Mrs. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it's good to see everybody jumping in. Uh, Bruce, it's good to have you with us. Before we get started, uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to save that for later. But uh, let's start here. And as much as it's weird because we, we we're in, in the middle of this 11 day break between. Uh, you know, obviously, last Thursday night's game and what's coming up on Monday, which is kind of nice. The Bills are getting a little bit of an extra bye week. Has has the the savor of the flavor of that Thursday game left your left your your mouth yet? Is there are you feeling a certain way about it? Is it gone? Have you flushed it? Like that's the new buzzword around one Bills drive as we, we're gonna flush it. Like where are you at on that on that game?
2: I didn't really feel all that much when we were done because the Buffalo Bills did something on Thursday that anyone should have expected them to do if they've spent any time watching this team this year, which is they beat up on an inferior team,
1: mm-hmm.
2: specifically a beat up an inferior team. So they beat up a beat up team. <laughs> That's what they did. And right. they should have done that. So nothing really changed for me because I'm not sure that that game would have told us anything meaningful unless mm-hmm. the bills would have gotten whooped. Then it would have told us something, but expectations minus reality equals disappointment. And so for me, my expectations were that the bills were going to come in and smack around an inferior team with a bad quarterback. And that's exactly what they did. So now that that happened, I walked out of that game going, okay, like overall from a team standpoint, I didn't really feel anything. I think the things that you can take away from that particular game are the individual performances rather Mm. than the team performance, because the team performance was exactly on par with what you would have expected them to do, the things that are something you can take away are the individual
1: performances. Mm.
2: The overarching theories about the team for the entire year may or may not actually be any different.
1: Right for for me, it was. I mean, uh, so my overreaction show on Sunday, like or, or, or Thursday night, rather, I got accused of being like overly negative. And what's funny is like everybody that knows me knows that I kind of push back against that that whole Buffalo media narrative. Of always trying to be negative, like it's great to do shock radio and say this guy sucks or that sucks or they're not, they're not as good. And and we we still we don't get it as much as we used to, but it still lingers out there a little bit, oddly enough, from some content creators that are hobbyists like yourself and myself. I was just trying to be like this 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 game wasn't to your point, exactly. But it, it the game played the way I thought it would against a team with no quarterback, no running backs, no wide receivers, no tight ends, and missing three starting offensive linemen. Like, what do you want? What do you want from me? And like the next day it was, you were so negative on the show last night. And it's like I, I was just being honest. Like I wasn't trying to be negative. So with that, I feel like I need to temper my expectations. I feel like what I thought. The bills were going to be this year. That offense from 2020 and the defense from 2019. We got the defense from 2019, and we don't really have the 2020 offense, which we're going to talk about a little bit during this show. I feel like I have to like because you've got a formula for expectations, right? Uh, I feel like I have to temper that a little bit and be and just settle with the fact that it's not what I thought it was going to be, and be happy in a different at a different floor, if if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely does. You have to recalibrate the expectations because you keep waiting for reality to meet up with your expectation doesn't happen. So instead you have to recalibrate your expectations more to line up with reality. Because otherwise, if you just wait around, you just live in a perpetual state of disappointment at that point. You're living in that gap. And that gap, the longer it exists, the more uncomfortable you feel because it's just sitting there like an open wound between your expectations and reality and knowing that you don't have a control over reality, despite what some people on Twitter will tell me. I don't actually have control (laughs) over the team on Sundays.
1: Great pod, by the way. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) So for me, it's a matter of slowly accepting that, okay, we have sample sizes now. That would indicate what the reality probably looks like for now, and we align our expectations with that rather than demanding that the reality then align with our expectations.
1: Yeah. So Richard Rush says that he wants your mentality because losses ruin his day. What he doesn't realize is you are Vulcan, right? You you have no emotion. You know, I've been accused of this
2: multiple times. <laughs> I, I will I will I will openly say yes, I do have emotion. I just. I just don't let it absorb me. I just acknowledge it as a data point. Oh, that's funny. I'm feeling sad. Oh, that's (laughs) funny. I'm feeling angry or that. Oh, that's funny. I'm feeling embarrassed. Whatever. I just acknowledge it as a data point that exists outside myself rather than allowing it to like, just consume me.
1: So your TNG, your data TNG with the with the feelings chip when he was like,
2: it, it, yes i'm dated it, with the feelings chip 100 percent. yes is this
1: fear Do I, am,
2: am, am i afraid right now am yes. i happy I'm exactly sorry. like that thing it just comes from <laughs> hyper self-awareness
1: really and i'm showing what a nerd i am right now yes i'm a star i'm a trekkie it, it's true i am absolutely a trekkie but uh let's get into uh so we're not going to talk too much about the saints game the buffalo bill saints game because it's in the it's in the rear view big time it's way in the rear view we're going to talk about uh what's coming up what's coming up before us because it's this is arguably the biggest game of the Bills' season. We we didn't think this was going to be the biggest game of the Bills' season, but this is absolutely 100% the biggest game of the season, and it's going to determine a lot, in my opinion, I think in your opinion as well, as it pertains to where the Bills go from here and what the next five games after this one look like. Uh, but before we get that, the Buffalo Bills have activated both Spencer Brown and Starla Tulule off the COVID inactive list, which, if any of you did not know that, you know that now. So both those players will be back there supposedly not struggling from any health uh, deficiencies. They're they're okay and ready to play. Uh, Feliciano also has returned uh, to practice. They have 21 days to activate him. I don't know, unless you've heard something different, that they have not said as to whether or not he is going to play on Monday. They have but not. The, yeah, but the Bills are getting healthy at the right time. Would you agree with that?
2: I would agree with that. I, I think that there's there's never a bad time to get healthy, but there's certainly a bad time to get unhealthy. Right. And if I have to pick between losing somebody week one for five weeks or losing them week 15 for five weeks, I'll take week one. Because you assume that this team is probably good enough to be able to make the playoffs without any of those things. That as long as it's, you know, not like Josh Allen. But for me, getting healthy is more about being able to find who you're going to be moving forward. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of teams don't have an identity right out the gate. Because every team, every year is a little different. There's a different combination of human beings in there, especially offensively when you lose John Brown, you replace him with Emmanuel Sanders, right? Right. That's a bigger of a deal than you think, right? When you inject Matt Breida into the equation, when you inject Spencer Brown into the equation and move Daryl Williams, every team is its own entity. You can't just say, oh, well, this team's going to look exactly like it looked last year because most of the personnel is the same. But that's not the way this works, right? That's not how any of this works. So I think it's good to get healthy at the right time because what it allows you to do is allows you to figure out who you're going to be moving forward. And the teams that get hot at the right time, we talk about that all the time, but it's really kind of a team that figures out who they're going to be at the right time. And that's what you can get when you get healthy.
1: There's there's rumblings out there, and I, no pun intended. There's rumblings out there. Nobody from our network, so not rum, people from rumblings out there rumbling. But there's rumblings out there that people are expect, excited that 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 Spencer Brown is back because of Matthew Judon. And Matthew Judon, by far and away, or maybe not by far and away, but is clearly having an incredible year this year from the de- defensive end standpoint, from an end standpoint, rushing the passer for the Patriots. What's weird about that is I don't know that I sit on that fence. I'm excited to get Spencer Brown back to move Darrell Williams back inside to get Cody Ford out of the lineup. But I'm not ready to just say Spencer Brown is going to have his way with Matthew Judon. I almost wonder if Daryl Williams might be a better matchup. I mean, Daryl Williams, if we remember, took care of T.J. Watt last year in that Steelers game. It just I I, I don't know what your expectations are, but that that matchup concerns me a little bit. Spencer Brown has played well this year. Within the context of being a rookie tackle, we
2: need to understand this. So Spencer Brown has played well if you put up the bumpers. Spencer Brown is not a top 10 right tackle. He's not a dominant player. He's not going to be a pro bowl player his rookie year. Mm. He's been good for a rookie right tackle, right? He's been one of the better rookie offensive tackles, but that's within the sample size of rookie tackles. So I agree with you. I don't think there's a scenario where you can say, oh gosh, whew. Thank God we got Spencer Brown to go up against Matt Judon. There's our eraser right up there. No, no, he's not. I agree with you. The thing that Spencer Brown gives you is he gives you better guard play because it allows Darrell Williams to kick inside. But that doesn't mean Spencer Brown, we should expect him to come out and play dominantly against Matthew Judon, who is playing out of his absolute marbles this year. It's really a trickle-down effect rather than a one-to-one effect of bringing Spencer Brown back.
1: Yeah, Starla Tule is coming back as well, which I'm excited to see Ed Oliver lined up against him because Ed Oliver, you know, the last couple games without Star has played like a man with with his hair on fire. I said that on the Fina show on Monday. I'm I'm excited to see him, you know, kick back to his normal position. That I think it's a three technique with with Star lined up at the one and just kind of sucking up those blockers. We're gonna need a big day out of him. I you know I I feel like. And we're going to get to this in a minute as well. I feel like he could make an impact in this game. He he clearly has the ability to affect games. I think it's getting to the point where teams are beginning to recognize him and see him, and probably game planning for him a little bit. I'm not saying that he's Matthew Gi- Judon. He's not Joey Bosa or any guy like that, or Cam Hayward, but I feel like he's he's in that mix. But Star having Star back is going to sure up the sure up the ground game, which is important. Um, yeah, any quick thoughts just about Star being back?
2: I think star being back eliminates the possibility that you have to use Vernon Butler. Mm. And that's, that's a big part. I mean, that's a win. when you activate two practice squad defensive tackles over Vernon Butler, you're saying something. And yeah. if you bring star back, then you could say that same thing again this week. You're not required to say, well, you know what? He had his time on the inactive list. I'm sure he's learned his lesson. Let's bring him back. You Mm. no longer have to tackle that because you have an additional body at the position that you were previously utilizing Vernon Butler for. So I think that much like Spencer Brown's main benefit is a trickle down through the rest of the offensive line, Starr's return is a trickle down through defensive tackle to the point where you no longer are required to make a difficult decision as to whether or not you would like an underachiever at defensive tackle or a practice squatter at defensive tackle.
1: Right. So let's do this. Let's let's kick off all the analyses for a minute. Buffalo Bills are they're they're going to host the New England Patriots on Monday night football. The New England Patriots are a half a game in front of the Buffalo Bills. If the Buffalo Bills win this football game, they're in sole possession of first place in the East and then have probably a track attract if you will, use proper vernacular, to the one seed from there just understanding what's going on with the Titans, what's going on with the Chiefs, what's going on with all the other teams that are in the AFC. More than that, as a fan, where's your where is your, I don't want to say your mind at or your heart, but maybe where is your mind? Where's your heart? Where's your your countenance to use a churchy word? Where are you at with this? It five the game's about to start. We're four minutes away from kickoff, right? And that's when it usually hits us. The nervousness hits us a little bit. And the reality is this game staring us in the face, you know, we beat the we beat the Patriots like we're supposed to, like we thought we were gonna do 10 weeks ago, and everything's great. We lose to the Patriots. Where you I, believe, on
2: that? I believe in statement games. I believe in them. A lot of people, you know, don't believe in statement games, you know, every right. because everything changes so significantly week to week. But I mentioned before that last week was the opposite of a statement game. Mm. There was only one outcome that would have made a statement, and that was the right. Bills getting beaten. Right. Any other outcome, the Bills winning by seven or the Bills winning by 70, wasn't really going to make a statement to me. This game does make a statement to me because the Patriots have started to find themselves earlier than a lot of teams. I mean, they're on a massive win streak for a reason. Mm. Mac Mm. Jones is playing perfectly reasonably. The defense has rebounded from a down year last year. They're getting efficient play. They're running the ball effectively. The upgrade from Cam Newton to Mac Jones has been notable this Mm. year, and they're starting to get good production the way that they envisioned it happening when they made significant free agent acquisitions this off season. a lot of the aqu- acquisitions that they've made are starting to come around. Hunter Henry is starting to really become, you know, a factor for them. Yeah. John o. Smith still a little bit behind, Right, but Matthew Judon as mentioned before was there was a question coming from Baltimore. Was he a product of a scheme that allows him to get open and run runways essentially toward the quarterback. But the answer is, no, the Patriots' system is very, very different than the than the Ravens' system, and he's thriving. So Judon ends up looking like a a bargain after right. potentially concern about whoa red flag maybe an overpayment, and so they're starting to gel and come together at the right time. And so I think this is a statement game, especially because they're a hot team. They're a team that comes in confident. And knows that if they just do the things they're supposed to do, they have a real good chance of win because they've always been well coached. Yeah. This whole concept with Brady and Belichick after last year, everyone was so willing to bury Bill Belichick that it was all Tom Brady. It was all the Patriots roster being seven and nine last year was an absolute miracle. <laughs> we talk a lot about Sean McDermott going six and ten. His second year with a terrible, terrible 2018 Bills roster, especially on the offense. And we go, Oh my gosh, that might be a better coaching job than it was his first year. Right. That's the way Belichick's seven and nine was last year. Belichick's seven in line, that roster was bad, was yeah. really, really bad. Top to bottom. And the fact that he was able to get seven and nine out of it, the defense was absolutely devastated by COVID opt-outs.
1: Mm-hmm. And now
2: he got all those people back, which is basically money in the bank. Then he mm-hmm. got some of the free agent acquisitions that are actually turning it around. Things Mm -hmm. are starting to sort of come together for them. And because of that, I think this is a statement game. So the way I feel about it, my countenance, if you will, the look on my face is, okay, well, show me. And they did did last time that there was a statement game, which I felt the Chiefs game was a statement game. And now here's another one. Let's go.
1: Yeah, this game has a very reminiscent feeling for me of the 49ers game fall, prime time following the Cardinals loss going no no I guess we did what was the game that we played after the car for some reason for some reason what's resonating with me is the, the San Francisco game I think we got my games mixed up was it Cardinals it was Cardinals Then somebody else I gotta look it up it was Cardinals and then uh uh who was it last year do you, do you remember off the top of your head
2: I don't think I understand the question
1: so who did the Bills play last year after the Cardinals Bills schedule there was a
2: buy after the Cardinals
1: correct but then was it immediately the 49ers after that I've got to come up I think
2: it might have been the Seahawks I don't remember
1: I think it was the Seahawks as well it was the Chargers they came out of the buy and it was the Chargers they came out of the buy and it was the Chargers but that 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 49ers game felt to me the way this game feels to me there was the 49ers we knew had a bad not a bad quarterback you know but he was the numbers were there the statistics were there but he wasn't like lighten up the world but like his passer rating was good his completion percentage was good he was playing some decent games they had a solid defense robert Sala was there this game has a very reminiscent feeling to me as that game and i remember feeling this way like who what bill's team am i going to get who's going to come out and like how are they going to play how are they going to react and it was funny because they they pinned their ears back and they made a statement in that game in my opinion to your point about statement games and they never looked back it put them on a track like to go straight to the playoffs and effectively straight to the AFC Championship game. This game has a very similar feel to me as that game.
2: People forget that Josh Allen threw 11 weeks last year and Josh Allen threw 11 weeks this year. Pretty similar. What happened was Josh Allen went on a real significant hot streak at the end of last year, and that really tipped a lot of the analytics and the metrics in his favor at the end of the regular season. It was a hot start and then kind of a dip and then a slowly getting back up, and then Seahawks 49ers games just took off,
1: yep, right? Yep, yep, And
2: this has an opportunity to happen again, but he's going to have to learn a new book, and we're going to talk about this in a second, so I'll let yeah. you you know, get to it when we get to it, but Josh Allen's had to read a lot of books so yeah. far in his career because there's been a different book on him every year, and now he's got a new book he's got to learn. So the question is, Are he and Brian Dable going to be able to figure out what needs to be figured out to be able to see to it that this lighting that we saw in the late parts of 2020 can continue in the late parts of 2021?
1: Exactly. Before we get to offense and defense and just stuff like that, as far as this conversation goes, I want to hit the show sponsor real quick. Bruce, got a question for you. Have you ever bought a house? Nice try, FBI. No, not where or when. Have you bought a house ever Mm -hmm. in your life? Have you ever sold a house? I have. Is it or is it not true? At least it was for me, and maybe it's different for you. The most frustrating part of the entire process of buying and selling a home—and oh, by the way, I've done it in in Ohio, which is different than New York. New York is insane. It takes two months to close. It's like there's attorneys involved. It's it's crazy. But the most frustrating part of the entire process is waiting for the other party's agent. Would you agree with that? That when you're just kind of in the dark. And all you know is like, well, we're just kind of waiting. Would you agree that that's the most frustrating yeah, part? Yeah,
2: ball is in their court is a frustrating part of this. You're just like, uh, okay,
1: exactly. so what do I do now? Exactly. So this is what I would tell you. So I'll, everybody here hears me talk about the market dominator, John Spazchek, all the time. Sponsors this show, sponsors the Overreaction Pod. Uh, he's just an awesome dude all around. But what John, one he, he excels in two things. Number one, he excels in being what he calls a life transition specialist which is he gets innately into your business. I know that sounds a little creepy, just as as far as trying to get you to the place, the suburb, the township, the house, what you're looking for, the right family fit, school systems. He does all that with you, but he also runs the other team. And by run, I don't mean that he manages manages them. I mean, he runs them in the sense of he's on them all the time. And there's never that ball is in the other party's court with John. So this is what I would tell everybody in this chat or in the comment section or listening to this podcast right now. If you're looking to buy or sell a house, if you've never done it before, don't take a chance. Call my guy, John. If you've bought or sold a house in the past and, oh, by the way, you've gone through what we're talking about where the ball's in the other party's court and we're waiting to hear from them and it was frustrating, call John if you're going to do it again because John is not going to let that stuff happen. John is... Uh, with Keller Williams, one of the, they are the largest real estate brokerage in the entire world. John is consistently in the top, I think, five for Western New York. He can help you outside of Western New York as well. But John is the man, and I've used him. All of my friends have used him. He's great. Call him at 716-570-3298. The number's right there on the screen: 5, uh, 716-570-3298. You can also reach him on Twitter. John is Bills Mafia. His handle is at Your Elite Broker. And John and I will be at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers-Buffalo Bills game next week. So if you want to meet John, and you're down there in Tampa with the the mafia. You can meet him too. We do have a super chat, so yeah, call John, super chat. Speaking of John, John DeFazio. Look at that. That was that was a great segue right there. That just kind of naturally happened for me. John, thank you for the for the super chat. Thank you for be, for being a part of the show. This game is about turnovers. It's that simple. Bruce, is it going to come down to turnovers this Bills Patriots game? I think when you have two
2: teams that play defense as well as these teams do, I think toxic differential becomes a very significant thing, and turnovers are part of that because there's probably not going to be a lot of explosive plays on offense and probably not a lot of turnovers. Now, in addition, the Bills have had a fumbling problem this year from their ball carriers. Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Breida has a fumble, even though he hasn't had that. John, in the Super Chat, says... Bills losses four losses nine turnovers and two takeaways exactly you lose the toxic differential battle and part of that is losing the turnover battle that yep. matters yep. and so it matters more when there isn't a massive talent gap that can overcome the disparity because the fact the matters there are teams out there that are good enough to overcome sloppiness and when you are playing a beat up Saints team, for example, if Josh Allen throws two picks, lottie die, you still whoop them 31 to 6 because they can't do anything to take advantage of it. So I can give you all the opportunities in the world. That's really what this is. Football is about opportunity and capitalization. Mm-hmm. And I can give you all of the opportunities in the world. And if you don't have capitalization, it doesn't matter. The Patriots do have capitalization. They have the running game, they have the points scored. Everyone thinks they're a dink and dud offense. They're one of the top scoring offenses in the NFL. Yep. They're number one in point differential. Yep. No longer the Buffalo Bills. It matters. So they're hard enough to deal with without you giving them additional opportunities. So I agree with John. It's going to be a big part of it.
1: Yeah. It, 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 I guess the question, I mean, I would I would prefer to see, obviously the Bills have four takeaways, but if it's not that I would prefer to see none from either team and just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Uh, But one thing we want to talk about, and this has been kind of in my craw, I brought it up on the the food for thought uh, conversation that you were having with Nate Geary uh, last Friday night, just as far as the offense, what I think we're going to see, particularly with Trey out. And there's a lot of meat on this bone, but the Bills offensive philosophy, it just feels like it's been more conservative this year. There's been a lot of just different play calls. There's less outside of the Titans go for it from six inches, like on fourth down and instead of kicking a field goal, like, Outside of that moment, and and it was before it and after it as well. It just feels like the Bills' offense has been a little more conservative this year. And wh- I did some research. I think you did some research, just kind of on this topic. I'm just not sure what we're going to see in this game. And I got to wonder if and I and I brought this up, like I said, on food food for thought when I was in the comments section. I got to wonder. It seemed like last year the Buffalo Bills had all the chips in the middle. It, they knew that that defense was gonna was not going to hold up. They knew that they were going to have to outscore every opponent that they had. And they basically came out guns blazing, right? Guns hot is how they came into every single game. And this year, it was almost almost as if they knew that the defense was good and they didn't have to be as risky. They didn't have to take as many chances. It feels different this year. And I think you agree with me that it feels different, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what we're going to see on Monday. I think that we might actually see a little bit of a return to some opportunity to try to outscore the Patriots versus just, you know, play our game. Let's play our game. Let's let our defense do its thing. And we're just going to like score the points we need to score versus no, no pedal to the floor. Do you feel like this offense has been a little more conservative this year or at least looks it?
2: I understand that it might look it. It is difficult for me because it's hard to quantify conservative. When you go to look for things like conservative neutral pass weight rate, bills still remain high average yards per pass attempt right? That's roughly the same. I mean, average yards thrown, up. thrown the ball downfield as far as the air yards, basically the same 8.7 versus 8.8. 8. When mm-hmm. you look at pass run ratio, it's basically the same. When you look at all of these things, you go, okay, I understand it feels more conservative, but mm-hmm. how do you quantify that? Now I would agree that Sean McDermott feels a little bit more conservative from an aggressiveness standpoint on fourth down. And I think that part of that is because he doesn't feel like he has to get every single one, like you said, because the defense is better. But I think a lot of that is the way that the the Bills are being played this Mm -hmm. year. So early on in Josh Allen's career, the answer and the narrative is something that we have a tendency to forget right now when it comes to how defenses played Josh Allen. We always forget what the narrative used to be because we're so focused on what the narrative is now. Mm. But the narrative for a long time coming out of 2019 was, okay, what is Josh going to do to be cover zero? What's he going to do to be cover one? That was like a huge narrative in 2019 mm-hmm. because people would man up on the receivers. They would bring pressure and Josh Allen had no answer. Like that was the book on right. Josh Allen. Right. And then you go out and you get Stefan Diggs and coming into 2020 teams are like, okay, this is the book on Josh Allen. And well, that didn't go great. Josh Allen lit him up like a Christmas tree. He had answers for that. And then the back half of 2020 defenses are still trying to figure this out now there's a new book on josh allen josh allen is now getting the too high patrick mahomes treatment and now they have to figure out how to get away from that and like is mentioned in this super chat right here from cam dawson knox is a piece of that but then Mm -hmm. dawson knox breaks his hand and is out in the middle of the year because one of the ways you can consistently get away from too high is seam routes to the tight end or getting yak, and Dawson Knox can help you get yak in an area that the Bills have historically been lacking in. The Bills have been bad at yards after catch for a long time. Now, part of that is Brian Dable. Part Mm. of that is the fact that Brian Dable is not Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian, uh, former offensive coordinator at Alabama, now the head coach at the University of Texas, did an offensive clinic where he was talking about the fact that he never, ever wants a receiver to catch a ball While stationary, ever. Mm. He doesn't want that at all. Well, Brian Dable doesn't ascribe to that theory. There's lots of button hooks, there's lots of out routes, there's lots of in routes, right? And part of that is because Josh Allen throws those routes well. And the routes that Josh Allen throws well are routes that don't necessarily lend themselves to a lot of yak. So, where do you generate yak? You can generate it from Dawson Knox, and that can help you get out of too high. But there's going to have to be a scenario where they figure out how to consistently get people out of too high because normally the answer is going to be run the ball effectively. The right. reason why Aaron Rodgers sees less too high than Patrick Mahomes is because the Packers can run the ball better. Right. Right. And so the bills without the ability to be able to run the ball dynamically, despite everyone being all over Matt Breida, still averaged yards per carry. I mean, he's not like the guy at running back who's going to solve all our problems, but the inability of the Bills to be able to run effectively and get that safety to commit down in the box, you got to find a different way. And then you had a player like that in Dawson Knox and he got hurt. So for us, when it comes to offensive conservatism, it's going to be, how do you stay aggressive while qualitatively, qualitatively, not metric-wise, not in a way that you can measure- but qualitatively looking different than you did in 2020 because you can't look the way you did in 2020 because you're being defended different. One of the things we saw a lot of in 2020 was a lot of deep overs, a Mm. ton of deep over routes, right? Those routes aren't good against too high. Right. That's the reason you're not seeing a lot of them. Those routes that you saw consistently against the Rams, consistently against the Dolphins early in 2020, That's not something you run against too high. You're literally running your deep over directly into a safety. You don't do that. So if you're getting that, you're not going to see a lot of those big plays. So you have to find different ways to generate big plays against too high. And that's a challenge to be able to do that when you can't run the ball. So I don't think that necessarily the offense has been overly conservative. I think they're just trying to figure out how to be dynamic against a new look when your left hand is tied behind your back. And that is you can't run the ball.
1: It just it just seems like they're not doing things that they could do. So, for instance, one one of the things they can do to pull pull a teams out of too high Tampa two, is go five wide, which you and I were talking about this today. They're they're running basically the same amount of percentages last year in five wide. They could go four wide, which they basically have done ten percent less, I think, in snaps was the number that you pulled. Obviously, screen plays, which they're they're trying to force, and they're not a very good screen team. The under one two three yard routes to Cole Beasley work as well. That one route, and I, I don't know what it's called, I, and I reference it all the time, the route that Cole Beasley made a living on in 2019 where he would go up and then cut into the middle and then catch the ball in stride and then dart basically a post from there. He made a living on that. They didn't run that in 2020. They haven't run it yet this year either. There's a lot of run, like, plays that they could do outside of just trying to force the run like game down somebody's throat that I feel they could take advantage of to pull them out of that too high. They just don't seem to want to do it. They seem to want to just He wants to hang back there and wait for the guy to get open. Like, and I, like it just, it's weird to me. It's just weird. It's
2: a go concept. It's a run and shoot concept from SMU is what you're talking about with, with Cole Beasley. And it's an option. It's an option route. And I think that Cole Beasley being banged up is probably one of the reasons why you haven't seen much of it is because one of the choices there leads him directly into a, a rat, a rat safety. Like yeah, if you right. have, if you have a safety who's in, you know, who's sneaking down, you're going to lead Cole Beasley directly into someone who's going to smash him. Right. And that's one of the options in that, in that go concept, it's a choice mm-hmm. route from Cole Beasley. And I think that we'd be probably more willing to do it. If Cole Beasley didn't have busted ribs.
1: Yeah, for sure. Pamela, sorry for waiting so long on the super chat. I just was uh, obviously working through this concept and and your, your comment fits right in with it. So as to Josh, sounds like he hasn't really improved since last year. improved a lot within the two years before do you think he has peaked then has he found his ceiling I don't think personally Bruce might have a different con or opinion I don't think he's found his ceiling necessarily I think we know where his floor is I think he's found his floor which isn't a bad floor to be in I think it's just more about how does he grow past to use Bruce's term he's got to read the next book is kind of where we're at would you agree with that Bruce
2: I would agree qualitatively he needs to read the next book book Um, it's the If there is a book on you, and I've said this before, I said this a lot when Josh Allen was still developing, and we didn't yet know if he was going to be the guy, even though some Mm. people would say we knew at the Vikings game when he hurdled the defender, the answer is no, we did not know at that point that he was going to be the guy. But I think that if there is a book on you, you're not a franchise quarterback. It's that simple. If there is a book, if there is a, well, all we got to do is do this thing and we'll Mm -hmm. shut him down. Then mm-hmm. you're not a franchise quarterback. By definition, a franchise quarterback is someone who you can't shut down. You slow down. He has right. bad, he has bad games. Everyone has bad games. Sure, sure. But there isn't this one thing that is the answer. And that's the reason why you take a quarterback like Josh Allen. Because he's got so many tools and so many traits that he gives you so many options. We've talked about this a million times before. Traits give you options. And the more options you have, the less likely it is that there's going to be a defense that's going to just be like, oh, well, this is the answer for Josh Allen. This is the answer. So for me, I don't know if necessarily he's hit his ceiling qualitatively. I think there's a very reasonable chance he's hit his ceiling from quantitatively speaking. Because last year was an unbelievable year. For a quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen, I've said this before. Josh Allen takes home the MVP if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go out of his mind last year. I mean, that was one of the better years for quarterback play in the last five or six years for Josh Allen. So asking him to be better than that is kind of unfair, to be honest. It's just kind of unfair. Like, oh, well, Josh, you did good. You got to do better. He's sitting there going, like, there's a meme of him as a white cat-like thing, just throwing his hands up in the air going, what do you want from me? Right. I don't understand. He's Adam right. Lambert screaming, what do you want from me? That's right. really simple. So for me, I think that there is a possibility that qualitatively, we haven't hit his ceiling. He's going to know more things at the end of this year than he knows now. He's going to yeah. know how to beat more defenses at the end of this year than he knows how to beat now. But quantitatively, I think there's a very reasonable chance we've seen the ceiling because last year was really, really, really good. And it, it would be kind of unfair to expect him to be a lot better than
1: that. Yeah, for sure, John Fazio with another super chat. You guys are super chatting it up tonight, and we appreciate it here on the Hump Day Hotline. Uh, important note: Everyone talks about Belichick, but Dable knows Belichick better than any other uh, offensive coordinator in the league. He knows how to beat Belichick four wide with a tight end. That is an interesting proposition, and I'll be honest, I this is one. So I've been I've been racking my brain, and I've been pinging Bruce. I've been pinging Marino. I've been pinging all these guys. Just about different thoughts that I've had. One of them being, I feel like the the Bills have been running five wide as much this year as they did last year, which I was wrong on that one. I didn't even think about this one. Did they run a lot of four wide with the tight end last year against the the Patriots? And the first, I've got some numbers. The first Patriots game last year, they didn't, they ran the ball more than they did anything. In that second game, though, do you, from your recollection, have you watched that game back, the second one?
2: I have, but I didn't notate this particular thing. I, I have a question, John, in, in, the, in the comments. When you say four wide with a tight end, are you talking about four wide receivers and a tight end? Like no running backs at all? Right. Or are you talking about
1: three, uh, three wide 11, receivers per, tight end 11
2: personnel and you're just going spread? Because that's a very, very different concept because what you're talking about with four wide receivers and one tight end, that is that's a personnel grouping you're not going to see very much. Like ever from anybody
1: four wide receivers it depends on who the tight end is right so it's going to be a kelsey uh i mean are, are we talking about knox entering that that kind of pass catching dynamic weapon tight end guy so he's part of the five wide i mean that's what you're talking about right
2: yeah it, it, that that's an unusual unusual thing for anyone who's not kansas city to have right
1: Right, or um, or the Niners right. with Greg, George Kittle, right? I mean, or yeah, Mark uh, Andrews. Yeah, Andrew. the the Ravens could do it if they had four wide receivers worth doing it with. <laughs>
2: right, and if and if they didn't want to run, if they didn't run a run twelve and thirteen as much as they want to run it, right? If they don't, you know. So for me, uh, it, it's Dable against Belichick. I don't think is necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily an easy win for Dable. I don't yeah. think that's the way to approach this because Belichick against former Belichick assistants, you should look that up sometime. It, it's not pretty for former yeah. Belichick assistants. It's a little bit like Saban versus ex-Saban assistants that mm. aren't Kirby smart. right? It, it's a it's a scenario where the master historically remains the master and the student doesn't typically take over. That's right. not something that happens very often. I'll never forget the Broncos uh, with Josh McDaniels against Belichick and they actually beat him. And I was like, mm. this is it. This right. is it. Josh McDaniels has taken the mantle. And of course, one year later, he drafted Tebow in the first round and the whole thing imploded and he got fired. So that yeah. didn't work out great.
1: Didn't he do that with Kyle Orton? Didn't he beat him with Kyle Orton?
2: Yeah, he did the wild <laughs> stallion formations <laughs> from him. That's what they yeah. called him. It was, it was, it was a, it was a fun thing.
1: So John says, uh, basically the running back goes in motion spreads out. So it's actually three wide receivers is what my guess would be. The running back is, is a wide out and then the tight end in the formation as well, which would give them five wide.
2: Okay, so it's 11, but it's spread at this point is what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, correct.
2: I think that it it works if you have the ability to go empty consistently, which the Bills did go empty a lot against the Steelers, and it did not work out well. So I wonder if they go back to that level of empty because – They maybe feel a little bit better about their offensive line now than they did week one against Pittsburgh Mm. because that did not go well at all because what you're doing is you're just removing the threat of essentially any run that's not a quarterback draw, which means now the rush angles are changed fundamentally for your defensive pass rushers. Rush angles are markedly different because I don't have to account for a bunch of things that I would otherwise have to account for if there was a running back in the backfield or anybody in the backfield, mind you. So I, I think that this team's identity after they dabbled in a lot of 10 personnel week 1 and it did not go well this team's identity got back to 11 personnel and that's kind of what they've stuck with moving forward. I would not anticipate a drastic change to that because I really do think that those are getting that's getting your best players on the field. Right. It's getting your best players on the field when you go 11.
1: Yeah. Scott Devereaux with an X super chat says, I've decided to stop working on my finals and listen to the hotline. Scott, you've made a good choice. So on behalf of myself and Bruce, we both agree. You have made a solid choice with that. one.
2: I don't know what your finals are, but if you want to just throw in the <laughs> comment section, I'll see if we can help you out. You know, <laughs>
1: like- Sanskrit. Have you, have, have you ever seen PCU, <laughs> you're majoring in a 2000 year old dead language. <laughs> yes <laughs> so i actually did some charting of my own and i did it today just because i knew that we were going to be talking about i wanted to talk about just offensive philosophy because i have another piece that we're going to wrap up this whole conservative philosophy thing with that doesn't really fit the narrative that i think you like to kind of live in so i just want to ask you about it just as friends um but as i charted 2020 runs through 11 games versus 2020 runs through 11 games they were strikingly close so the Bills averaged 25 runs per game in 2020. They averaged 26, or like 26 and some change. Uh, overall, in 2020, there was 277 runs in the first 11 games. That was with three losses. Uh, the Bills this year have averaged 286 runs, and that's with four losses. Josh Allen actually has run the ball 20 less times this season than he did last season to this point, and I know this is just mumbo-jumbo garble. garble. And then I did throw in the caveat of the losses, so in 2020 – if I took out the three losses, one of which was, you know, no, they, they beat the Pats, sorry. Uh, if I took out the three losses, uh, they actually averaged 27 runs per game. And then this year, without the losses, they averaged 20.5. So they actually are, they're running at a couple more attempts more this year than they did last year. But it's not striking. And I think what's weird, I think the most striking thing for me, and this stupid thing is that right there, they ran the ball 38 times against the Pats at home and almost got beat because of it. And I think if they're going to do something, that's not the answer. Let's not do that because we saw them light him up with Josh Allen in the in, in the second game against the Patriots in New England and it worked well. That was when that was when Belichick threw his uh Microsoft Surface against the wall and destroyed it if you remember, imploded it.
2: The Patriots in that first game essentially dared the Bills to do it. They had light boxes and they were in dime, the vast majority. No matter what kind of personnel the Bills rolled out, the Patriots said, "I don't believe you." I simply don't believe that you can run the ball effectively. We are going to plan for the pass. We're going to formate for the pass. We're going to personnel for the pass. And if you run, I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. Now, one of the pieces that they can use to do that is Kyle Duggar, and he recently got put on the COVID list. So that Mm. changes things. But Bill Belichick was just throwing waves and waves of defensive backs at the Buffalo Bills last year in the first game and just saying, I don't believe you. I don't think you will a stay patient because if you see a six man box and tons of defensive backs of the field, you're supposed to be able to run the ball. That's what you're supposed to be able to do. And Brian Dable and Josh Allen consistently checked or called into a run and said, this is what the defense is telling us to do. We're going to do it. And the bills weren't overly effective at doing it last year. And Mm -hmm. they haven't been overly effective so far this year in doing it. So There's always this weird, strange concept when you're not a complete team and the bills are not a complete team, but nobody is really a complete team. Complete teams are hard to find, but when you are, don't have a complete team, there is always a strange friction between what I do well and what they do poorly. There's always a weird unstoppable force versus immovable object theory, right? Okay. I don't run the ball. Well, But they're showing me six-man box with defensive backs all over the place, Mm -hmm. which in all semblances of football tells me I'm supposed to run the ball. But I don't do that well. But they don't defend it well in this situation either. So what do I do? There's always that weird conflict. And there's always going to be people who say, no, this is what we do. We're going to throw the ball. Okay, you're going to throw the ball into dime on third and one with six defensive backs sitting there and a six-man box. Like, what are you Really? So at some point there has to be a balance between what I do well and what they're telling me that they're going to give me because every defense gives you something. And it's fascinating to see how you do. And this is one of the reasons why Sean McDermott keeps harping about being a two-dimensional football team is because you have to be able to take advantage of the things they're giving you. We already talked about this football is about opportunity and taking advantage And if they're going to give you the opportunity, you're incapable of taking advantage of it. That's a problem. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Bills decide that they're going to do if faced with Belichick just giving them, giving them the run. Just saying, here you go. Just have it. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you'll stay patient. I don't think you'll stay effective. I don't think you'll – I think you're going to screw up eventually. I'm going to keep giving you light boxes and tons of defensive backs, and I'll make you do it.
1: Yeah, they're – I hope they don't fall into that trap. I mean, that's the next scrolling line at the bottom is every defense is beatable. The question is how. Obviously, the Titans rushed for over 240 yards in that game against them the the last week, Last and they scored 13 points, and they got trounced by the Patriots because the Patriots let them do it. But your point exactly, you you know what? You just go ahead, run on us. Run all you want. We're still going to beat you. I hope the Bills don't fall for that trap. I hope they don't fall into that because to me, the Bills are not a good running football team. It's not a secret. I don't think you'll disagree with me uh and that's not how you're gonna beat them maybe maybe Breda gets hot but I just I don't know to me that's that's the scariest of outcomes is if if they decide you know what we're gonna run the ball 38 times because they tried it last year and thanks to Justin Zimmer punching the football out of Cam Newton's hand because that they were going down the field they were about to win that game that game was all but lost on 38 rushing attempts but that's just that's just me I don't I don't, do you see a way for them to win this football game if they're running the ball 38 times, 42 times?
2: Yes, I do. And it involves running Josh Allen.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If he's, Yeah. If he's averaging eight yards of carry, right? For sure.
2: If and here's my theory if they're going to give you numbers and you're not able to take advantage of it with the numbers you have, you need to exacerbate the advantage. Mm-hmm. And the way you exacerbate the advantage is by getting the numbers on your side with quarterback runs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, John Fazio with another super chat. Thank you, John. He says, uh, I think he's going back to his other point about being uh, spread. What I mean is formation wise, 11 personnel, but moving the running back and tight end around in motion and formations, which I think we got. We can be under the center. We can be under center as well with 11. Yes, Josh has to play within the scheme. No hero ball. Yeah,
2: I think Dawson Knox allows you to be able to do some of that stuff because of his willingness as a blocker in line. He's someone who you can flex out and have him in the slot. Now, as we mentioned before, the Patriots have an answer to that, and it's Kyle Mm. Duggar. And if Kyle Duggar is out, then that becomes something that becomes more of a chess piece. You Mm. can move Dawson Knox into the slot. You can move him in the backfield as an H back, which is something that allows you to get the types of routes that you would get the yak on, which again, connects to something we already talked about. One of the ways you can get yak is by starting the receiver in this case, Brida or Dawson Knox in the backfield and getting him on a running start so you can have a, a swing pass you can have flat to Dawson Knox and Dawson Knox can break the first tackle and mm-hmm. if that first tackle is not Kyle Duggar he's probably more than willing to break the first tackle and more likely to do it so yeah I'm completely on board with this and you have to find ways to deal with too high and Yak is one of them and Dawson Knox is a piece of that
1: yeah real quick I want to hit this uh with you uh, the Bills' game plan, Sean McDermott says, that and I'm sure every head coach says the same thing, if not the defensive coordinator does, that the, you know their their game plan against opposing defenses is or, opposing offenses. Sorry, is to make them one dimensional. The question is in this situation is what dimension do you give the Patriots and which which one do you take away? Because on the ground they've been dominant. So do you take the ground game away and, I'll, and you know and and put them in a situation where you're going to make Mac Jones beat you? Or do you take Mac Jones away and and say, you know what, line up and punch us in the face with Ramondre Stevenson and you're the running backs and we're going to take our chances that way. I don't like either of the, I don't like, I don't like this pick your your poison situation for the Bills right now. Like they're going to be in a nickel four, two. We already know that. They're not even going to come out of it. We we know they've established that. So then it just turns into how they're going to, what is the chess play here for the Bills? I don't know if you've got insight, but this to me is fascinating. What are you taking away?
2: To me, when I look at, the Buffalo Bills, and I look at the New England Patriots, what I want is I want Mac Jones to beat me holding the ball. I want him to get to his second read, his third read. I want to work him through the progressions. I want him to beat me down the field, in the pocket, under the gun. Now, I'm not saying Mac Jones is bad in those situations. He's not. Mac Jones is reasonable in a lot of situations. It's not a matter of bad. It's a matter of worse. It's comparative versus absolute advantage. And so what I want is... I want him to specifically be forced to do left-handed work. Now he's good doing left-handed work, but not as good as doing right-handed work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So for me, when I look at Mac Jones and I look at the Patriots, and he's played completely reasonably, he's a completely reasonable quarterback right now. He does not look like a historic rookie quarterback, and so you should not defend him the way you defend historic rookie quarterbacks, which is you blitz and blitz and blitz and blitz him right. until it comes until right. the cows come home right well that's not necessarily the truth i would very much like to force him to beat us but it's a specific quality of how you have to support them to beat us how you have to make him do it the so prob- for me sorry it, it's it's beat us down the field second read force him to hang there and work through the progressions
1: yeah the problem the problem that i love i love I that thought the problem is is if i'm going to be a contrarian which a lot of times i am The on the contrary i'm a contrarian the problem that I have with it is, what have we seen from Levi Wallace in this in this defense? What they asked Levi Wallace to do, they asked him to play twelve yards off his wide receiver, and you know Dane Jackson is going to do the same thing. So there isn't going to be a working through the first to the second or third progression because that wide receiver is going to be open on both sides of the field. At which point, those guys are going to, they're going to come down and make the tackle because that's what they asked them to do. I just we've all seen it, right? Look at I mean, what they
2: did against Tua. What they wanted to do against Tua was they wanted to make his first read be really, really aggressive with that first read, force him to work across field, get him antsy, and let the pass rush get there. Now, the New England Patriots have a much better offensive line than the Miami Dolphins. That's not debatable. However, the principle remains the same, which is what I want is I want Mac Jones to be forced to work through his reads. And to do that, you have to be aggressive on the first one. They did it against Tua. So they, we know they can do it. Now it's not going to result in the same. It's not going to result in the same outcome because right. Mac Jones is better than Tua right now, and also because the offensive line for the Patriots is way better. So you're not getting the same results, but qualitatively it looks similar.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, I just have a great fear, and and the, the the other piece of this that we're not having a conversation about is the Patriots mapping the Colts game plan with Jonathan Taylor and just charging the ball so we basically charging the ball down our throats and i know that star was not in that football game i know there there was a lot of other breakdowns in that football game i know that we played soft to use joe marino's term the bills wilted uh on offense and defense in that football game it got super physical we know the patriots are going to be physical against this football team against our team they're gonna have to man up they're gonna have to pull, pull their pants up right and they're gonna have to tighten their cleats and they're gonna have to Punch them back in the face and i i don't know that we've seen that yet from this football team makes me a little bit nervous as well but we know we have it in them they did it last year i'm not saying they can't do it but vernon butler won't be playing either right so Mm -hmm. yeah and trinity and tremaine evans is back and tremaine evans is back correct uh, correct which is also big i love this topic so um what does the balance of the season look like for this team win or lose so for me if the Bills lose this football game against the Patriots at home on Monday night, it puts the, the Patriots in the driver's seat. They are absolutely 100% in the driver's seat. And I'm not saying the Bills are out of it. They clearly could squeak into the playoffs or make it into the playoffs. They potentially pushes them back down into the hunt, which is not where you want to be. You want to be in the solidified playoff spot. But I think on the opposite, if the Bills come out do what they should be able to do against an inferior opponent, which I still believe the Patriots are an inferior opponent at this point, to me, it paves it paves the way. To me, this is that San Francisco Forty Nine er game moment where once they won that game, to your point, Josh Allen was a different player for the rest of the season. He put the team on his back and beat every good defensive coordinator there was that was in front of him. I think that's similar thing. I think it, I I think it could race them straight to the one seed in the AFC if they win this football game. If they make the statement that you say they need to make, I agree with you that, and the people in the comments section agree too. I think winning, winning. I think losing this football game is a is a tough pill, and it's going to be a bad situation. Winning this football game, I think, vaults them to the one seed in the AFC. What are your thoughts on just where this takes them, win or lose?
2: As I said before, I believe in statement games, and if the Buffalo Bills lose this game, I think qualitatively it matters how they lose the game. But if they lose this game, then I think the question becomes: Can we steal this division from the Patriots? Right. If we win this game, it's can the Patriots steal it from us? I think that's the difference because the one seed I start to care about a lot more a little bit later in the season. Right now, I'm focused on the division. And when I look at the division and I think, okay, well, the Patriots still have to pay the bills twice and the bills still have to play the Patriots twice. So when I look at that, I think to myself, okay, this is the tipping point for the division. And what changes from here moving forward is who steals it from whom? Did you steal it from us or did we steal it from you? So that's the way that my mind is thinking going into this game. I think it is changing the narrative on who deserved the division title and who actually got the division title.
1: Yeah, that's good. So uh, Charlie Gross from Built in Buffalo is in the comments section, and uh, apparently it's Charlie's birthday party or birthday birthday party. It's his birthday. He's having his birthday party with us. No, that's not. I don't know where I came came party came out of my mouth. But happy birthday, Charlie! On behalf of myself, on behalf of Bruce and uh, all of the Buffalo Rumblings crew, uh, make this the best year of your life. Let's do this. Uh, why don't we talk? So everybody in the comment section, we're going to wrap this thing up here in a second. Um, unless you've got something you want to talk about, Bruce, any questions you have for me or for just the comment section in general, anything you want to bring up?
2: I am here at your leisure, dude. I am here at your leisure. <laughs> you, you told me to show up. I, I, I showed up. I, I do what I'm told. I'm very compliant. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. You don't be as married as long as I have if you're not a little bit compliant. But the, sure. the, the popular thing I think to take away from this conversation so far is that other people go to Chuck E. Cheese for their birthday, but Charlie comes here. So Charlie, <laughs> Chuck himself doesn't even go to Chuck E. Cheese for his birthday. He that's comes good. to the Hump Day Hotline. So I him think and, that's
1: him and Scott Devereaux, who by the way, uh he put in there, it was uh he put I don't know if you saw what he's majoring in or what his uh what what his finals are when it was it was I think it was some computer language, but SQL yes, I did
2: I I did I did see it. So you know, DM me, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Wait, my DMs are closed. You can't do that. Never can't mind. Do
1: that. That's hysterical. So, uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned into the Humpty Hotline. Let's do this. So, everybody in the comments section, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, wherever you're watching us, viewing us from, and obviously if you're listening to this in podcast form, you cannot. But in the comments section. Uh, Give me a Josh Allen stat line and then a game prediction as far as the score prediction for this football game. And uh, while you're doing that, I'll start throwing them up. And Bruce and I are going to talk about just a a Josh Allen stat line as well. So I was close on the Saints game. I predicted Josh Allen to be around 275. I think I said two touchdowns. Obviously, he he had four. I thought that that Saints defense was decent enough that it was, you know, there was going to be some trouble there. So my expectations have changed, right, I think, on Josh Allen. For this football game, I think I'm in the same spot. I think I find Josh probably right around 280 yards, 290, maybe 300, couple touchdowns, maybe a rush, two rushing, one rushing touchdown. Where, where do you feel Josh falls into this game if you are a predicting kind of man?
2: I'm not a predicting kind of man, but given the fact that again, it's your show and I do what you tell me to do, I'm going to say <laughs> I'll say 220 and a rushing touchdown because I do think that this is going to be a game that is predicated on the run game and I think the opportunities will be lower.
1: Gotcha. So then you're, you've you got a low-scoring football game coming in.
2: That's my takeaway, yes. The weather, Belichick's history, the way these teams want to go, shortened game, less drives. That, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Well, the Buffalo Bills, just to remind you, played in Foxborough last year, December 28th, 2020, and they scored 38 points outside in a cold game with some flurries. Yes,
2: but not a lot of accumulation. I don't know if they're supposed to. Supposed to be an inch or two, I think, of accumulation last time I checked. But to be honest, checking the weather, you know, five days out is a
1: whole thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're actually calling for rain now. Forty nine and rain.
2: Oh, 49. okay. Well, that would actually be worse, to be honest. Yeah, that would
1: be where eighty percent chance of rain. I'd, now I'd rather I'd,
2: have snow than rain from a passing game standpoint.
1: Yeah, we clearly don't have the hour by hour, so who knows what it's going to be at game time. Uh, Cam Giuse says two sixty-three touchdowns and an interception. Richard Rush twenty-four thirty-three two seventy-eight with three touchdowns uh jenna Fazio, 325 one rushing three touchdowns nicks Diggs and brita i like his call out there daniel garris 295 three touchdowns uh one uh one td running so one on the ground jason taylor <clears throat> 225 two touchdowns one rushing so what did, did you give a score prediction did you say where you thought they were going to be score wise i did i did not give a score prediction do you do you want to do that i mean no but i will <laughs> i i will go 21 17 bills that's a high scoring game for me for him to have 220 yards and only one rushing touchdown that to me is, that's that's a high scoring game
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you've it's got higher do,
2: it's high i mean it's still lower than both of their averages for the year
1: but you've got them doing a lot of you've got them doing a lot of groundwork if that's if that's the score. i do
2: have them doing a lot of groundwork yes
1: i mean unless there's a pick six in this football game or re, like a fumble recovery or a kickoff return mm-hmm. like for a touchdown mm-hmm man, I don't know where I'm at score wise for this football game. I want to see them. I want to see another 38 to nine game is what I want to see. I want to see if you're going to make a statement, make a freaking statement, right? I mean, wow. that, that, that's what I want to see. Um, it, it's tough for me in this football game, Bill Belichick defenses or Bill Belichick defenses. The good news is this is the fifth or sixth time, sixth time the Josh Allen is going to face a Bill Belichick defense. I would say that he's arguably gotten better with every time that he's faced a Bill Belichick defense, which probably you know speaks volumes to him the, who is the, I don't know why this is popping into my head. You might, might, or might not know the answer. So if Chris Jenke is in the chat section, he'll remember it. Is Josh Allen now the most tenured quarterback against a Bill Belichick defense for the bills or was it Fitz still, or is it still fits? It's fits. Is it still fits? Yeah, I think it's fits with the bills. I don't mean bills, then jets, then Miami. You know? Oh, okay. With
2: the bills. No, with no. The Bill. with, with the bills. I think, I mean, Allen was 18, 19, 20. So that's right. six right there. Right. Right. So he's got six games. I think that might be, it might be that.
1: Yeah, he might be the most tenured Bills quarterback to face Belichick ever, right? Which is crazy to think about. Sorry, sidebar. That's my rabbit trail brain working in over overtime. So I don't know. I'm probably in that 24 to 17 space as well, I guess. I'm probably in that lower scoring, kind of knockdown down, drag out. We're all going to be nervous till the gun fires, right? Kind of situation. So I think I'm, I think I'm in that same space. Any final words before we uh, let the people in the chat section go? They're they're, they're wow. throwing out their score predictions. They probably should uh, be throwing some of those up. Daniel says 28, uh, 28 to 24 bills. Jason says twenty seventeen bills, which is good. Men in the Kitchen has uh, Josh on 252 touchdowns, one rushing, 23, 14 bills. I like all these bill scores. The, 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 the scores have significantly come down, Bruce. I don't know if you know that. So on my Time to Shine program on Saturdays, we were consistently, everybody was like 43 to 7. 47 to 20. So what you're saying
2: is they're aligning their they're aligning their expectations with reality?
1: They are aligning. It's all it
2: all comes full circle baby. Everything it's like the the Joe and Bruce podcast is like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's all connected.
1: <laughs> it's amazing how we do that. We don't even, we 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 just do it subliminally as well. Like we don't even plan it necessarily, but uh Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being tuned into the Humpty Hotline here on the Buffalo Rumblings uh, vidcast and podcast network brought to you by the Market Dominator. Uh, My name is Joe Miller, host of the Humpty Hotline with uh, tonight's co-host Bruce Exclusive at Bruce Exclusive, host of the Bruce Exclusive on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network and food for thought. Bruce, let's do this. Um, Why don't you tell everybody, even though I just kind of did it, where everybody can find you?
2: Well, if you are so inclined, you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive and my show, the Bruce exclusive drops every Thursday on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. And I have a live show just like this one, except it goes live on Friday nights with Mm. Nate Geary from WGR and it's called food for thought where we combine two of your three favorite F words, food and football. And so we're very excited about that. We always enjoy, have a good time. It's a, it's a kick off your shoes, crack, open a beer and, and chat with us. It's a very casual atmosphere. It's very, very different. The tone of food for thought is very different than the tone of the Bruce exclusive. And I think it's a, it's the duality of man for sure. Yeah.
1: It's a great show. And it, uh, it's, it's coming. It's the next program, the next scheduled program on the Buffalo rumblings vidcast network, which is uh, Friday, nine o'clock uh, Saturday, eight o'clock is the time to shine program with myself. Where you guys get to come on with me and uh, have a conversation with me about just a hot take, score prediction, Josh Young prediction, or stat line, stuff like that. Immediately following that is the uh, chop up with Jay Spencer King, Sterling Furrow, uh, and then some other guests. Kristen Kimmick is on the show. And uh, and then, no, not Sunday, Monday. Monday. So this just this just happened. So this is hot off the press. Monday, there will not be a normally scheduled uh, off-tackle with John Fina show. The off-tackle with John Fina show will actually happen at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time because, let's face it, you don't want to watch the pregame Monday night football stuff where they're all they're going to do is talk about Mac Jones. It's going to be two hours solid of Mac Jones and MJ10 and him trademarking that and all that crap that's going to happen. So this is what I want you to do, hot off the presses. 7 o'clock, Monday night, off-tackle with John Fina. It's going to be myself, John Fina. Jerry Ostrowski and Glenn Parker. So, three former Buffalo Bills from the Super Bowl era that all played offensive line together are actually going to be on the John, uh, John Phoenix show Monday, seven o'clock. And then immediately following that game, uh, will be the overreaction post game show. And then Tuesday, obviously, the code of conduct with Jay Spence, the king. I think I've said this three times already, but one final, final words. Anything else? Nope, I'm good. Awesome. Well, for myself, Joe Miller for Bruce exclusive, Bruce Nolan. Go Bills. Go Bills. (laughs)